Hello and welcome to whatever this is or isn't or will be, otherwise known as to whom it may concern. And tonight's episode statistically may not concern you. Or rather, perhaps you might not relate to it. This one is a particularly tough one to do. I haven't been posting updates for a while. I haven't been posting episodes. I've been kind of in the background collecting stories from people that I've come to meet and stories from people that I wanted to share in the flow and that I thought had a lot to share in the flow. And those episodes, they're waiting patiently for me to prep them up, (laughs) get them out of the oven and launch them out into the world. And no one, I believe, would expect to um, get too close for comfort to a concept that we've been talking about for a while now, but not necessarily have felt to be real. And this is, and I can't believe that I'm saying this, world war. And I'm not here to talk about world war specifically. I'm not. Because one, uh, I don't want to make this show political. I have made some sort of an oath that the nature of this flow will remain unbiased. And with the coming events, with the recent events that have happened with Ukraine, uh, Russia launching a full-on invasion, essentially, full-on waging a full-on war on the territory of Ukraine has been dramatic, to say the least, for the rest of the world to see. And especially those of us that have actually already been through war. Um, And I can't believe that I am saying this. Coming from a war-torn country, it's something that I don't necessarily talk about, and it's not It's not something that I have talked about before, uh, other than in passing in a couple of episodes, I've made mention of the fact that I'm from Kosovo, and Kosovo in 1999 has, uh, uh, there was a conflict between Kosovo and Serbia, which escalated to full-on war, Um, essentially crimes committed in a war that uh, quickly turned and escalated into genocide, uh, where that regime, the Slobodan Milosevic regime, sought to eradicate and uh, ethnically cleanse Kosovo of Albanians. And it's been, to say the least, quite unfathomable to me, to my brain, (laughs) literally so. It's been unfathomable that in one lifetime, one gets to experience cutting it far too close to experiencing two wars in a lifetime. And this isn't something that you can really wrap your head around. This isn't something really that I can even talk about or that I know how to talk about. Um, This isn't even something that my therapist knows how how to talk about. With a turn of events that has happened in Ukraine, everyone is dissettled. Our hearts and 
thoughts go with the people of Ukraine that are suffering right now, that are all the, the entire country is 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 essentially either fleeing or attempting to fight back the Russian invaders. And I know for a fact that the people back home in Kosovo, when they heard this news, when we heard this news, our instinct was to close our eyes and pretend it's not happening. Because all that it brought back was a very, very freshly torn wound that still hasn't healed. And I, for one, just months ago, wrote my, perhaps, wrote my first journal entry exploring my experience in the war. That was 22 years ago. 22 years. And two years in therapy, and not once did I open up a book <laughs> to write about that experience. And when I was uh, when I was in the master's program, I studied game development. So when I was in the master's program, we had a capstone project to do to develop. And I remember myself at the time. Um, I wanted. I've always wanted to use games as a tool. I've always wanted to use games as a tool to communicate, to to highlight something like un under the example of this war of mine, which is an excellent game that uh, takes the perspective of the innocent bystander and puts that in front of the player's eye and makes that the player's focus and actually mission. So essentially, if we treat games, if we see games as, or the characters in games, as shoes that you as an individual have to fill, and then you take on that responsibility of that character, and you need to fulfill it. In this case, what this war of mine did is it took us into the eyes of the innocent bystanders stuck between a crossfire and war, which is exactly what is happening now with the innocent bystanders of in the country of Ukraine. People who are trying to flee their country, people who have no business in war. And I would argue that even the soldiers themselves, from what we can see, they have no business in war. They don't want to be there. They don't want to fight, but they have to. And it just so happens that the innocent bystander, uh, that, pers that perspective as humanity we have not explored. There is something about us, I think, and this is just my thoughts, I guess, in the matter, but it's something about us as humanity that tends to explore the perspective of the fighter. The perspective, I think we probably, some evolutionary aspect here, but we put our money in the fighter. <laughs> So, so most likely our evolutionary path tends to focus on the one that fights to enhance in their skills and to uh, strengthen kind of their mindset, that mindset of fighting. Because uh, the more that mindset is strengthened, the higher probability that that person, that creature can survive because it is a good fighter. This is the general sort of consensus, right? When we think of our fight or flight mechanisms, like this is our deep instinct, the flight one we tend to associate with the negative connotation of a coward. But then when we look at the fighting concept, we tend to associate that with the connotation of a survivor. Like, you know, you are a strong survivor. You're somebody who fights back, who doesn't flee. But actually both of them 
both sides are built to preserve us as human beings. Like they're built for self-preservation. And depending on situations and circumstance, you either choose to fight or to flight. Maybe millions of years ago, this fight or flight mechanism was simple. You know, you, you meet some kind of a creature in the woods, you meet a black panther in the woods, you don't fight. You flee, you run. And even that is like problematic. You need to be skillful. Then maybe the decision between fight or flight was easy. If your opponent was of, was you could assess very quickly and we can very quickly assess if somebody, if our opponent standing in front of us is somebody that we can actually take. This is like, that is how perfect our system has become over the millions of years of evolution that we've experienced. Uh, but it's not that simple anymore. You know, our evolution now is beyond encountering a jaguar or beyond encountering some kind of dinosaur in the middle of the woods. Okay, but we didn't. I, yeah, never mind. We would. Uh, I was thinking Jurassic Park. I don't know why, but if we were to put in front of a human being, it's not just a matter of fight or flight. It's not just a matter of, can I fight this person? Can I fight this creature? Or do I just run and flee? It's also, am I capable of causing harm to the creature that is standing in front of me right now? And this is especially relevant when the creature in front of you is a human being. But I think now, even, you know, let's say, even not centuries ago, we didn't even care if, if what was standing in front of us was human or not, right? We didn't care. We just... We, we fought for a greater cause or for some grandiose thing, whatever our leaders were kind of pushing us to fight for. But I believe that we have evolved now. And I mean, it's not a matter of I believe. We have, we have evolved beyond creatures of fight or flight in our instinct or inside, deep inside of this instinct. There is also evolved a matter of I don't know what to call it. I don't want to say morals because this is not about morals, but it is a deep appreciation, understanding of all creatures that exist. There is this sort of, maybe I can use the word love for the other that we have that now has become innate to who we are as human beings. And to fight a war in 2022, to choose to fight that goes again that needs to that is like a conscious decision to be made and on so many levels does it change us as human beings and on so many levels do we need good incentive to do so to take up arms and protect our lives against somebody who is also taking up arms and perhaps believes that they are also protecting their lives but they don't want to do it and you don't want to do it and the only way that we can actually be convinced to do it through some higher cause, through some large narrative, it is very painful to observe the war between Russia and Ukraine to be reduced to morale. The Russian army morale is down, and that is why Ukraine is winning. Because if Russia had a stronger narrative, perhaps the Russians would be able to fight. Maybe they would also fight teeth and nail. And Ukrainians are motivated. They are motivated to fight. This is a deep shame. A deep... 
not ashamed that they are willing to fight. Of course not. That is survival that we're talking about. They're fighting for their country, for their right to exist in their homes. They're fighting for their home to remain the same way as it was. And this is not because we don't... And they're fighting for the for 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 no more person, essentially, to lose their life to this meaningless, meaningless war. So it is all but noble to fight in a war. But there is also a different aspect that I wanted to bring forth to the table that maybe open a discussion uh, or just start a conversation or I don't know what the purpose of this is but I know for one that there is no answer to what war is and what war does to us the purpose of this podcast tonight I believe is uh, it's kind of a process of reclaiming um, our story and you're going to have to forgive the fact that it's not as coherent um, because I believe you know I've never actually sat and talked about this and part of my brain still normalizes the experience as we were taught to normalize it growing up uh, because we needed to basically just get going and move on with our lives if the worst hadn't happened to you or your family then you just had to get going with your life and uh, I see now in retrospect how that was also a survival instinct that sort of turned into a response and it turned into a uh, nationwide response and it became part of our culture it became part of our mentality so it made us very very strong as people incredibly strong as people But the kind of strength that turns you into a rock. (laughs) And it doesn't let you feel your feelings. And it doesn't allow you and it disallows you. And it almost makes you feel guilty and ashamed uh, for the feelings that you feel. So today you have, I speak, for all the people that live in the Balkans and have experienced wars in recent decades. And most importantly, I speak for my Kosovar friends and family whole nation that today and yesterday had experienced flashbacks of the war that we have been through just 22 years ago because that kind of that kind of experience doesn't just wash itself away and i say in the end of this episode that we need to learn It is time for humanity to learn, not from our mistakes, but to learn how to heal from this horrible, horrible event that we keep going back to. Because I believe that we simply do not understand and we do not have a growing capacity for empathy for the pain that we cause when we do this. We elect the kinds of people that support the sort of system of oppression and of establishing dominance. And I think in 2022, we can definitely do better 
for our communities, we can do better for our countries, and we can do better for the world. But I digress. We were talking about this War of Mine, which is a game that explores the perspective of the innocent bystanders stuck in the middle of a crossfire. So when I was in the U.S., I was... Um, we had to do a capstone project presentation and I made a presentation. I made this, um, I came up with this little concept inspired by this war of mine, uh, before actually the, the their, their DLC, this downloadable content, uh, where, which also included children came out or actually, I think it was in development and they were teasing it still. Um, I took that concept and I, I wanted to focus on the perspective of a child, just one single child. But you don't get to explore her perspective through her eyes, but you got to explore it through these companion animals that were accompanying her uh, through this war zone. And the idea is that this, this little girl, she was trying to escape her hometown and she was all alone. She was trying to find... Uh, her father essentially because her mother dies in the rubble and in an explosion so she escapes and the her animal companions go with her obviously and the player is in control of the animal companions and they can switch between them there's the wolf there was the fox there was also the ferret at some point but we cut that off anyway for because we're like she is an innocent child. She doesn't know what war is. She's not supposed to, right? Children are not bred to, 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 to know how to behave in a war situation. They don't know what a fight or flight instinct means, right? They, they're not supposed to. They're supposed to live a peaceful life. We don't raise children and tell them, hey, there might be a war and this is what you do if there is a war. We simply choose to bring them to a world. We hope that we bring them into a world of peace. In any case, simplified, she is supposed to be 100% innocent, right? And as she as she sees you interact with things and as she sees you do things, if you use the wolf and she sees you kill the soldier in front of her, she will begin to lose her innocence. If she sees death, if you don't use the fox to, to pull her away from, let's say, dead bodies on the streets or you know encounter some some like in one of the cases like she was she sits by a bakery a famous bakery in her village that she goes that she would go to every day and she sees a letter left from the baker and you know the letter says something like we are in a safe house you can find us there so he didn't die but she's very sad that the bakery is now destroyed and in flames and in the meantime, quickly after that, a soldier comes and they need to go away. They need to run away before the soldier actually sees them. And in this in this particular like moment, you can choose whether you want to tell Arya as she's crying, sitting on the floor and kind of trying to process this whole this whole situation. You can choose what you want to do. Do you want to use the wolf and tell her, "Come on, Arya, like, come on." You need to go, you need to go, you need to go, you need to keep moving. We don't have time for this. We don't have time for emotions. So sort of strengthening, emboldening the survival mode, the survival instinct um, towards fight me me mechanisms, towards our fighting instincts. Or do you use the fox and tell her, you know, you give her comfort and you, you tell her it's going to be okay, you know, like it's okay. You can, this this it's, it's going to be fine. You just, we just need to keep moving still, right? You still need to flee. So she maintains her innocence if you if you if you essentially just let her go through this process and you comfort her with the animal and if you use the wolf to like nudge her basically on her way 
that affects her innocence and it lowers it down. And the idea is that by the end of the game, the player would have to see what the effects were coming into terms with reality, essentially, putting it to the test as reality always does. It always puts us in front of a circumstance where then we have to show, uh, we have to use in a way, in a strange way, the skills that we always get to use, the skills that we learn. This is sort of a strange reality of life. It's not it's 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 not as if we are learning them to use them, but somehow, sometime in life, we always get to make use of the patterns that we grow into. And at the end, um, Arya comes face to face with a soldier, and and the animal Arya and the animals come to face to face with a soldier, and there is no way of escaping the situation. So the game kind of takes, um, essentially now is just explaining in the demo, like the game is explaining to the player what happened. So if Arya maintained her innocence, what happens is this: like um, the soldier sees Arya, the wolf is obviously going forward and attacking him because he pulls out the gun and says like stop into a child, and then the wolf basically jumps on him and they're struggling on the ground the gun falls down and it falls in front of aria's uh, legs so she has to she like looks at it and now she either picks it up or she doesn't right she needs to do something with it and if she maintained her innocence when aria sees this thing happening in front of her she looks at the gun that falls in front of her feet and she can't she doesn't know what to do with it and she just she's terrified she screams and goes to hide um, and then she goes to hide behind with the so with the fox. And in the other case scenario, if she's lost her innocence and she's seen you do things, like she's seen you uh, kill soldiers, she's seen you, she's seen the worst, quote unquote. Uh, she will pick up the gun and aim it at the soldier, and essentially, you can see her waving the gun, and you don't know if she's gonna shoot. And then she shoots, but misses. The important thing is that, that she shoots the bullet. In that case, the soldier is surprised. The wolf m uses that opportunity and then kills the soldier. And the first one where she flees, the wolf is actually overcome by the soldier. And uh, he gets up and he picks up the weapon and then shoots the fox. And essentially, you know, like it, it is um, essentially the game ends at that point. But the idea was to even explore in a full-fledged game to explore deeply or deeper this concept of what would happen if you were to preserve her innocence in an extreme case scenario in an extreme circumstance what happens to a child when you don't uh, allow reality to sink in for what it truly is and what happens when you do expose them brutally to the reality that they are currently experiencing so the two extremes and this whole experience First and foremost, when I was designing and when I was coming up by kind of with this concept, I was obviously thinking of home. I was obviously thinking of my own experience. In a way, I actually think I was this little girl. I was Arya. And I was exploring through this character very unconsciously so. And I do say unconsciously because I don't believe that at any moment in time I had admitted to myself that I was doing this because of my experience. I remember back in the day when they would ask me, like, okay, like, you know, they they would, um, and by they, I mean my college, so, like, the, the people in my university, they were, we were obviously defending our, our, our project, right, and then the team essentially signed up to build this. Um, and we were all kind of focused on one thing. We just, we wanted to make it clear that 
there are there we do not explore this perspective enough you know we especially in the western countries right there is this kind of inclination at least i'm i'm talking about like today's generation like in this in the past i don't know 30 to 40 50 years time um we've grown kind of disconnected and disassociated from this reality that in war there is more than the people than the soldiers right there is more than the terrorists and the counter-terrorists there's absolutely there's way more there's layers and layers of 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 people in different positions like you have reporters you have innocent bystanders you have children you have the elderly you have essentially you have so many people involved and it's not it's never that fucking not complicated as you know, one side takes arms and fights against the other side that also has arms. In war, there are no rules. In war, there is no gameplay. There is only the beginning, the middle, and the end. So in this case, like from my perspective at the time, I felt like I was offering this sort of different perspective. And because I had experienced it, I was using almost, was using this feeling, this guttural feeling deep inside to bring it out and just show it right and in some way but not, never not even once did i truly communicate the fact that well yes this is about war it is about the innocent bystander and i was inspired by my own uh, experience at some point obviously it was understood but i've never actually consciously talked about it because i didn't want to because i didn't allow it to but I remember as if it was yesterday, I would listen to songs from my country as I was designing this game. And every once in a while, I didn't know what I was experiencing. I honestly, I did not know what I was experiencing. But I was listening to these songs and watching like these videos of war at the time. And I was being triggered and I would go outside, um, outside our cohort space and just cry and smoke. And I started smoking when I was in the US. It was like kind of a whole thing, a whole thing of a jig. But let's not go into like psychoanalysis of my uh, experience in the US. But as this game was being developed, I was clearly working through my own trauma, but not consciously so. And that was what, seven years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago, I believe. Seven years ago. And just a few months ago, a few months ago, after having gone to therapy for almost two years for completely unrelated matters, we hadn't touched the topic of war, completely unrelated matters, that I still remember as if it was like yesterday. And that was the first time when we encountered the Serbian militants. And they came into our house because they would go into each every single house the first time that we encountered the militants the soldiers and they came into our house and they kicked us out of our house that was what they did if they didn't do worse and uh i remember in that time all of the adults were going crazy all of the adults were kind of trying to put together some sense of it and i felt like and i could just see everyone was looking away and i don't know how that formulated in my mind but somehow in my head i was simply all alone i do fight i fight this need to share the story because i don't want to be too triggering for the people back home listening in and i don't want to get people talking about 
their trauma or thinking about their trauma um, and then have nowhere to turn to and have no one to work it out with. We have been told our entire lives to shut up about it. And now actually is the time to start reclaiming our stories. I guess. Maybe. I don't believe that we have this luxury to deny it any longer. Especially considering the state of the world as it is right now. It is hard for me to admit. It is hard for me to say it out loud. It is hard for me to say myself, speak these words. But seeing the pictures of the children of Ukraine currently running away as your parents try to bring them to safety or some semblance of safety with no knowledge how to comfort their children, their uh, each other, really. That is more than pain for me and my generation. It's, it's a memory. It's a flashback to, to when we were those children looking through the windows of trains and the windows of cars and behind the backs of our parents and on their arms or by their sides, exhausted, trying to walk to some border into the other side where it's, we, 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 we believe, we have to believe that it's safe. For us, it's more than a, pa a pain shared. It is a memory that we have to accept. So, mine is a story that I don't even know where to begin with. I have struggled my whole life trying to understand what actually happened that time, that day, that moment. Uh, I just saw my mom leave the house and uh, everybody else, I, I don't remember anybody else's faces. Actually, I have no recollection, no memory of me living in that house before that exact moment in time. And afterwards, actually, part of my childhood is like cut into pieces. I don't exactly remember what came next i i remember bits and pieces of the war and of that experience but for the most part i think my trauma and the way that it manifested itself when i felt worse even throughout life my trauma manifests itself in ways where i just forget i simply it, i blank out and i don't remember uh there have been you know moments throughout my life just going just when I go back to, to moments of deep depression uh, and I, I simply do not remember things. And then, you know, the, nor the people just normally remember classmates, faces, names, you know, it's, uh, I also don't remember much about that experience, but I remember this, this very first time when, when my mother was left the room and I felt like I was just f completely alone. So I, I chased after her, like everybody else stayed behind. They were all too scared to, to go outside and see what was happening. And I went with her and my mom panicked and she told me to go back inside. And I, you know, I just kept going out, you know, I, I was a kid. So of course it was not the time to fight or to listen to your mother, I suppose. And uh, I went to my mom and I was looking out and I saw them carrying my dad and 
my brother and uh, our our neighbors who were actually sitting underneath the house because it was safer to stay everybody to to, to stay in one place. But they were taking all the men um, and they were taking them towards the trunks of cars. And eventually we basically, they did this a lot and we don't know where they took them. And a lot of people are even missing today because just um, they never came back. And as they were walking them to the trunks of the cars. My mother was praying and I saw the soldier. I saw the Serbian soldier and I saw his machine gun, like this, this not machine gun, this rifle. And I was a weird kid. <laughs> so I saw his rifle and I went and I hugged him. And I like was looking at my mom. I was five years old. I was looking at my mom and I was telling her, like, Mom, look, he has a rifle. He has, like, a real a real rifle, Mom. Do you see? And my mom was obviously crying and telling me, Agnesa, please come back here and don't do this. Uh, but I was, in, I was just too enamored with the idea that, you know, it's a rifle, like, in the movies. Um, that I just was uh, fascinated with the soldier. Quick digression here uh, that I think would be a curious note to share. Uh, years later, and very recently in my life, so as I was going to therapy, I, I told my therapist about this story. I uh, finally, you know, started to share pieces of my experiences in war after I wrote that journal entry. And I told her the story of me hugging the soldier, and she was in shock, which I would for sure understand and then she illuminated me on something that I have never once mm, thought about Uh, she said it could be it's interesting and it could be curious but the way that a child's brain is formed right might have been that it might have been that moment in time where I in my head there was formed this idea of redemption that no matter how bad you are, no matter what you do, you can always be redeemed. And you're always deserving of love and you're always deserving of kindness. Because there was something about that act of me hugging the soldier and the way that, and I'm, this is not, let's say, it's not a hyperbole. Like this man was dangerous, this man, had killed people and continued to kill people. And this man had even been sending like all kinds of, like organizing all kinds of coups, uh, getting people to like gather together in houses. And then they invaded that one house and just got dozens of people all at once. Like he was essentially a maniac uh, and he was leading this regiment. And I hugged him, you know, I was five years old. I didn't know better and honestly maybe I did know and I, I knew more maybe that than my brain and my consciousness could say and in hugging him 
I've grown up I've grew up believing somehow deep in my consciousness that that is how you you don't fight fire with fire right? you fight you, f- you don't fight hate with hate you, you fight it with with its opposite you fight contempt with love so yeah just an interesting short snippet of how perhaps possibly uh, that moment has shaped me into my future and I'm still I mean mulling over the idea I never know and we never know how our brains form these connections and then they, then how they serve us um, into our adulthood but yeah thought I thought you'd want to know And I remember he looked down on me, he pat me in the head and he said something in Serbian to my mother. Later on, I learned it was something like, leave it, you know, just leave it. It's okay. Uh, Granted, thank God, by some kind of sheer fate or luck or destiny, I don't know. uh, Somebody knew someone in that crowd as they were taking my parent, my dad and my brother to the car uh turns out one of the soldiers knew someone and knew my neighbor and uh they called it off and then this 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 soldier person that I was hugging apparently he was one of the worst serbian militants that you could have uh, uh faced apparently he he did some horrendous crimes uh, and he turned to the guys and he just said, just leave it, you know, like bring them back. And then they brought them back and my family was safe for the time being. And the man left us with a warning and he told us, you know, next time if we find you here, it won't be like this. Uh, so we ended up running into militants for three, four more times as we were trying to get to the borders, to get to the cars and escape to the borders. And Kosovo, you know, is a small country. And, uh, but it was practically impossible. And then we we ran into them three to four more times and still not a family member of mine was harmed. The ridiculous notion that I have in my head of what it feels like to experience war as your mother is telling you that the sirens are, you know, they're just, they're, the, the, the bombs are just fireworks that somebody is celebrating something. Or, you know, when you're playing on the ground, you're playing soldiers with your best friend because you think that that is somehow fun. And because you think, you know, you think that it's cool that, What's happening is like in the movies. You simply don't understand that your life is put in danger and your family is in danger and everything, everybody is under severe threat. You simply don't understand it. You don't fathom that. So having gone through something, go through such experience and having survived, I am not, if you would see me in the streets, I am not somebody that you would say, oh yeah, like clearly you look like you've gone through war. And if you really asked me like where I'm from and I tell you it's I'm from Kosovo, I'm not going to tell you that Kosovo was through, has gone through war. At least this is not generally the, the, the common way of introducing ourselves as a nation, as a nationality. 
But I think what happened with this Ukraine war was that it was made apparent to us that we do not have the luxury to remain silent anymore. And I know calling it luxury sounds very strange to somebody listening to this from the outside. It's some sort of a privilege, honestly, to some extent. Now, it has become a privilege, or maybe it is becoming a privilege in the world to not have experienced war and to not have seen what what war is truly like and then to not have the reference of knowing that you don't want it to happen again ever again in life no matter your position of power or or privilege so if you were to look at me and if you were to ask me throughout my life as i have been asked and or is if i or if you had addressed me as i have been addressed by people in the world and different nations, different nationalities that I've been approached to. And some people didn't know where Kosovo was and others that didn't know. They asked me, oh, you know, you guys, there was a war in Kosovo, yes? Like very recently. And I said, yes, there was a war in 1999. And somehow some of them like still don't put two and two together. And some of them do though. Like there's even even smaller percentage of people that do put two and two together and they look at me and they give me this look there is this particular look that you give someone when you realize that they have experienced war which is something that they can't possibly comprehend and that looks it looks a lot like pity and I understand it of course I don't think we're made to know how to respond to that. Not even psychologists know how to respond to that. So it's a completely natural reaction, of course. But I also think that we as people that have been through war, that have experienced it, we need to speak up about it. And we need to be frank about it. We need to be open and honest. But the risk is always there, that if we are open and honest and we talk about our wounds and we talk about our trauma, who's going to help us overcome it? Do we have the right knowledge? Do we have the people that can treat this sort of trauma? Is PTSD even treatable? Or do are we just given a kind of a quote that says, yeah, once you go through war, that shit never leaves you. <laughs> if you go through war, you'll war will be with you for the rest of your life. Well, yeah, we know. It is whether you were old enough to remember the whole thing or you're just haunted by seconds of split interactions of having seen and experienced and have in their pool of memory even a semblance of what feels like war and we don't know how to treat it. And this, in essence, is why this conversation needs to be made and why I'm starting this topic um small as it were relevant or no no relevant impact at all i felt it in my bones that i had to do something anything at all i had to talk about it as i saw the people back home be flustered and panicking and starting to go on a basically catalyzed trauma response community-wide nationwide trauma response buying things out of order, preparing for something that might never come because we've seen it and we don't want it to happen again. Because yes, war is horrible. But there is a point that I'm trying to make 
that my inner wound led me to something that happened to me 22 years ago. And frankly, for 22 years, 23 years, there is no cognitive, I'll say, like conscious recollection. There are moments in time when we spoke about war, when we spoke to people in our basically age group, people in our classrooms or teachers or, you know, every Independence Day, maybe war came up. But whenever there is this kind of bias or cultural shame or guilt around having experienced war, This is essentially called survivor's guilt. And it is something, it is a word that I hadn't heard of until I started going to therapy. And it was said to me that what you are experiencing is survivor's guilt. What you were culturally experiencing growing up, going to school and talking to people that had it worse than you did. And you somehow survived unscathed or survived with not as gory or as horrific trauma. You experience survivor's guilt. But the reality of the situation is that everyone experienced a life-threatening situation. Everyone's lives and livelihoods were threatened. And we need to start addressing it as such. And there is a difference, right, to make a clear differentiation between two things here. I want to make a clear differentiation between two things. Survivor's guilt and survivor mode, which are obviously two different things. Survivor's guilt comes from, comes from this inexplicable place where you feel you shouldn't have survived a circumstance that other people didn't. This comes from a very deep place of empathy, I believe, from this is from my perspective, because we can so well relate to the other person's pain and so well we can put ourselves in other people's shoes that when we compare our fates against each other, we also forget to be grateful about the fact that we are alive. And then you live perpetually, you live the rest of your life in this guilt if it goes untreated and the most unfortunate thing of all is that it does go untreated because people don't talk about it people don't speak it out especially if they have their close family members uh losing their lives to in in these in these situations or if their family members experience extremely traumatic events that leave permanent scars in their bodies physically mentally emotionally and even now we see the trend of being asked, like, why are you traumatized? You know, you weren't even born and uh, at the time. Or, you know, when you, you were born after the war or you were too young, you couldn't have remembered any of it. Like, you're essentially, this is what tra traumatized people do to other traumatized people. Uh, this is also something that we do by instinct. 
it's not to relativize their pain, but it is in a way, this is suppressed trauma, suppressed anger, suppressed aggression, suppressed uh, fear that speaks on our behalf at this point. And it speaks for us. And it looks at the other person and says, what have you been through to tell me this? These are things that affect us. They're, these are like the silent stressors, I think. The silent uh, destabilizers in our daily lives. Because then, and this has happened to me personally as well, and I'm sure it's happened to other people, then we feel guilty. <laughs> On top of what we already feel, we feel guilty for thinking and feeling those things. Because we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be comparing. I, you know, It's not about comparing our pain to somebody who maybe hasn't been in war and still experiences that trauma, that feeling that we can't quite explain. And we can't quite explain why there is such a thing as generational trauma. But I would so much, like, uh, perhaps this is not the format of the place for it right now, but I would so much go to assume that trauma does things to our brain that it helps that it helps well it forces us to believe that the paradigm that we live in requires drastic measures to be maintained right like let's say the nature of human beings is to preserve what is their own to preserve a, a state of comfort a state of peace as we perceive it in that moment in time we, we, tr we try to preserve what always was we try to preserve the status quo we as human beings don't like our status quo changing and when things like war, like some traumatic event, which drastically shifts that perspective, shifts and destroys, completely obliterates the status quo, we need to come up with a new blueprint for the new paradigm. And because we need to be fast, quick about it, because it's a matter of life and death, right? We then end up applying like kind of patch notes. You know, you, 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 you just apply a patch blueprint to your existent and that then you perpetuate that into your offsprings and then you perpetuate that into your community because you re need to reaffirm and reassess that standing and then there is another thing because i'm digressing there is the other thing that i wanted to just make brief mention of um and i definitely i will talk about it in another episode and i have some plans for future episodes but survival mode specifically the way that it what it actually does in our brains and this is my therapist's explanation of it so I will just share it with you because it was quite enlightening for me when she sort of illuminated me a second time about how my trauma affected me affected me in my daily life is that it it put me in a perpetual state of survival mode it became a way of living basically especially because I was the second generation after the the, the, the generation second and third generation after the generations that experienced war with full consciousness, full awareness of it. So, so in essence, what survival mode does is it cuts your, let's see, one of the things that survival mode does is it cuts your feeling receptors, right? Like you're, you're essentially, you're, you stop feeling for the time being because you don't need your feelings. You don't need the fear. You don't need the anger. So I believe that what happens, right? Like in the prior generations, like in the generation of my parents, for example, there was a shift. I did experience, like they did experience a shift and they were living in survival mode and 
possibly up until now, up until very, probably very recently in recent years, but maybe perhaps for them, maybe even earlier, they got out of survival mode because they started to simply believe, you know, that they're safe, they're okay. But what happened in the meantime is that they, because of that paradigm shift, they lost the blueprints, I think, of how to deal with feelings with the overwhelming amount of feelings that were that kind of came overflowing that they just buried down and it was easy for them to bury down because they were of that age that it was you know not a lot necessarily changed changes is change is very rare and far and few in between so you kind of feel safe and set in your ways but then when your child comes to you and starts talking to you about the anger that they feel and the fear that they feel that they feel scared, that they feel strange or unsettled or whatever. They didn't have the blueprint to carry down on the, our, on the next generations, right? They didn't have necessarily that blueprint to give to us and say, this is how you deal with your anger and this is how you deal with this feeling and this is how you deal with that feeling. So we were left kind of at our own, with our own tools, right? come up with our own tools with our own understandings of what feelings were and that's why i think that when we were coming out of survival mode and now we're when we were experiencing an overwhelming amount of feelings we just didn't know what to do with them hence now there's full generations i i think and i see this pattern in 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 my generation of people and in and let's say i see this pattern in all of my friends and all of my friends friends where everyone is way more anxious there there is this this sort of uh, pandemic of anxiety disorders or epidemic, okay, epidemic of anxiety disorders, of depression making a comeback. And I think it's because we we are overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed by our feelings and we don't know how to read them. We don't know how to use them to our benefit. Then we are creatures of feeling and thought. So we need both to coincide. We need both to be in flow. So for me, it just became a mode of life to live under anxiety and to feel under threat at all times. And I, I'm, I honestly believe that there is a reason why into adulthood now we see if we look back in, in, in nations like Kosovo, uh, we see a lot of people in their adulthoods now suffer from anxiety disorders. And I, 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 I'm, I have this growing belief in me that it is because survival mode is now alleviating it's like the the curtain is 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 get, is going is being pulled away from us so we are getting back the flood of emotions that were cut off during survival mode it happened people tend to just look at you because you're a child and they tend to close your eyes and say don't look at this i don't see it don't see it don't expose yourself to it because you've experienced it before because there's that trauma right so they try now to overprotect you after it happens they close your eyes and they say no it didn't happen and you ask them you say no i saw this happening and they say they tell you no it didn't happen it's not true no but it is because i remember it as my brain wishes to remember it, whether it is true or not, I remember something and that something 
My brain cannot simply compute it. It doesn't process it. That is why it feels like it happened yesterday. Right? Because trauma knows no time. There is no such thing as 20 years ago. So I'll get over it. For trauma, it's always there with you. It's raw. And it's un uncleaned and unhealed. I, in the morning, I was reached by a colleague of mine who asked if it would be possible. What if World War III started happening? You know, what if the um, Russia's aggression escalated and then more countries were involved? And, you know, we're in Poland, so it's very nearby. So, of course, people were panicking and they were projecting that, you know, this war is obviously going to escalate because it's Russia. It's one of the biggest countries in the world. And they are very, they're being very aggressive. And, and, and Putin is, is saying all these things and na, 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 na. And I could tell as progressively throughout the day, as more news was coming in and as more things started happening, I could tell myself being extremely fidgety. This was Thursday, extremely fidgety. I could not stay in my seat. I could not, like, I was trying to focus at work, but I was like trying to focus at 50 things at once. I was very distracted and I was trying to keep my focus. I was trying to keep myself away from the news during the day at least like until essentially like after being educated on what was happening at the very least until my work time was over uh and my body was fighting me and i felt myself becoming progressively more anxious and i figured you know oh maybe it's just i i don't know like maybe i'm just scared and then i called my mother and my dad and i was asking them have you seen the news did you see the news like what do you think about the news what is happening with the world right now like i need i need some piece of explanation because i i don't know how to read this you know how, how are you supposed to process this either an impending warning of war right or or was you know having gone through it once are you supposed to know what to do with it the second time that was literally my reaction my gut reaction was to call my parents and ask them what do you do if there is war in poland tomorrow or the next day or the next day whatever what am i supposed to do should i come home should i go there should i go here plus there is obviously naturally because of the uh, because of the situation between Russia and Serbia, there is also an immediate fear, an immediate fear that Serbia is also going to be bolstered by this situation and then maybe they would attempt essentially to do war. And I don't say that this is their intent. I'm not saying that this is the intention of Serbian's government today. Again, this is not politics. I'm talking from the perspective of the people that have experienced it once. And when the, the idea of war is brought up or when it feels like somehow it is hitting too close to home, immediately you start fearing for the worst again. And immediately you start preparing. So if you would just go to Kosovo today and you would start asking people what they feel and what they think, already conversations are being had. Already people are talking about like regular over, over coffee. They're talking about how, you know, if it happens, I'm going to go to Albania. I'm just going to escape to Olchen. We're going to, or which is in Montenegro. I'm, we're going to buy this, this, these things and we're going to buy those things. And we need to buy flour and we need to buy gas and because we've done this before so we know how to do this so come on chop chop let's run through the motions again and let's do this like fucking hell we have to do this again 
we might have to do this again. And then you also have the people that say, oh, come on, absolutely not, which is actually in my family, this was essentially the reaction. Like there was a division of reactions of how people took the news. There was me who when the war happened the first time i was far too young to understand what was happening i mean i understood what was happening but i was far too young to really form a coherent thought about what was happening and form sort of an understanding of oh this is where i'm supposed to run this is where i'm supposed to to stay right to fight i I was far too young for that but my siblings they saw everything they remember everything uh even the pieces that i have somehow blocked out because my consciousness just doesn't know how to handle them doesn't know how to process them so you have you have me that is now genuine not now in the let's say in the in the question mark because we're not saying that it's going to happen it seems that the flow the current of the war is is actually leaning towards ukraine uh right now which i'm very happy for uh, it's just i uh, there is so much to talk about and just today i had this rational very very rational conversation with a friend of mine that I truly appreciated because I felt like I could finally detach like from this overly emotionally charged conversation and switch to uh, just let's just understand what is happening. Let's just understand the flow of this war and just understand if it is really expected to escalate into world war. And seeing what it is right now, it doesn't look like it's going that direction and very, very happy for it but you can't help feelings. You can't help this feeling in the bottom of your stomach that feels like you're in threat, that you are under threat. And this is doubly intensified if you've already been here before. That's the best, that's the most that I can say. If you would ask me, how would you do for me? If you ask me, a a person that was barely a child, essentially barely a person when the war happened to me and my family and my country, and then growing up in a war-torn country where nobody talked about it, essentially. And when I say, I will, I will explain what I mean with nobody talked about it in a little bit, because we did, obviously we did talk about it. It was, it was very obviously a topic of conversation, but nobody talked about the trauma. Nobody knew how to talk about the trauma. And it reminds me of my yesterday's interaction with my therapist. And I, was, I sat in front of her and she asked me how I was doing. And I just smiled and I said, I don't know. I honestly do not know. Am I triggered? Yes. This word that I learned maybe in the past five years of my life, what it even means to be triggered. Five years seems like a long time, actually, maybe three being triggered. Yes, I am absolutely triggered. Amongst, you know, feelings of anxiety, amongst insomnia, amongst nightmares returning, amongst countless of other things. Yes, I am triggered. As is every single person that I talk to back home. As is, I am absolutely sure, knowing what I know about the human psyche, knowing what I know about the human psychology, as is every single person in Kosovo that has, in one form or another, experienced the 1999 war between Kosovo and Serbia has experienced it like been there physically personally themselves their family and then they had to essentially live in an environment with people that had experienced war so basically be like a generation after or the generation of the generation after and or 
you are you have experienced it from the distance but you had family in kosovo experiencing it and the list goes on war affects us human beings in ways that right now not even psychology understands and i think that this is because well not a lot of research was done in this in this in this process i don't know if research was done in this topic i don't know because if you if we live in a world where the kosovo serbia war of 1999 is called a conflict because it is politically dissettling to call it a war same with the ukraine russia conflict which they started calling it a conflict but it is actually a war full-fledged intentional war one-sided from russia onto a country that didn't want it yes it's absolutely war so if we still don't know what to call it then we also don't know what to call its effects its side effects which is this deep generational trauma that is carried over with generations that apparently at least in the words of my a uh, therapist and of research it takes over 40 years over half a decade for that generational trauma to truly start to heal and i can understand that because it had been 22 years of my life with barely some semblance of what word looks like and it's enough to start to process that experience and to start to see actually myself through that child's eyes that experienced that war and saying aha okay i see how this shaped me into my adulthood just a couple of days ago i was talking to a friend of mine who is a next generation essentially like the generation that came after that doesn't remember or didn't experience the war but but her family has and her father even fought in a war and she said something that i'd never truly thought about she mentioned that her room was always white it was always bland it was always essentially undecorated almost as if like every birthday you know everything that happened you have some pictures you always decorate the room you always do something with your room but no it was bland the walls were white the furniture was simple you had a bed you had clothes a closet maybe for clothes and that was it There were no books, no candles, no toys, no well maybe toys with the off chance. But more often than not your bedroom just was bland. And so was mine and we were talking about how weird is it that into our adulthood like only right now do I get to decorate my room in the way that it feels like home. And it took me years years of living away from home to start understanding what my home feels like and what my home looks like because my reference of home was comp- was built essentially over a over a platform over a plateau which was built on top of war trauma how was i ever to expect to have a normal childhood how was any of us how is any of us from that era expected to have a normal childhood of course we did not and we even live in a world with with means and essentially you look at the entire balkan area and well there there is never a period of just pure peace and just rest in bulk in the balkans 
That's why we have a completely different culture, which is now like people joke around and there's a whole meme community, meme society around specifically around Balkan jokes and Balkan mentality. And it's no surprise that that actually comes from perhaps my our, 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 our overexposure to conflicts and wars. I will make a I will make a brief interjection here and just say that when you look at the Balkan areas and you look at specific countries and cultures and their process of identity formation, you can see and this is something that maybe within our own culture we joke around about. There is a very rich culture and rich history in the Balkan area and the Balkan countries. And each country has their own very deep lineage of these cultural elements which we do share also amongst ourselves. But our identity formation as a country, as a nation, has been denied every time there has been a political dissettlement or especially if it escalated into war. And this is what war does. It stops time in its tracks. It says fuck all to everything and anything that you started doing and you wanted to do as a human being. And it makes you focus only on one thing, the one thing that in that moment, the only thing that truly matters, and that is your survival. And this is the saddest, absolutely the saddest reality that comes from war. The, the, the paradigm shift that we as human beings experience if we experience war or are in a real threat of an approaching war or even simply the idea of war, what it does to us and what it does to our bodies. We literally stop our natural process of evolution. Of course, there is absolutely no justification for this to happen. But anyway, I don't want to digress, but the idea is that it took us a lifetime, let's say, two decades of a lifetime, more than two decades of a lifetime, almost three decades for me, to understand the ways that war affected my personality building. And not just mine, but that of my parents, that of my siblings. Just within my family, we are four different generations of people that you can observe what war has done to our personalities, to how it has affected the formation of our personalities. Fine, my particularly, in my case, it's been a different path because I was so young. I was five years old. And so for me, that became part of my inner childhood wound, something that we experience in life. Every single one of us have those wounds, we carry them with us. And they help, they do shape our personalities as we grow forward, as we grow up, depending on how we deal with them. But how are you supposed to process something that you don't know how to process? That one, people don't let you do it. And two, I don't even want to think about how the, the decades of pressure that my family has lived through before it escalated and i don't even want to think about the pressure that my siblings had as they as their entire life shifted before their eyes and then they were supposed to simply pretend that okay it's over now now we can go back to normal 
and I've seen them all grow up through different experiences in life. And now once did I see it from the filter of how did that trauma, how, do, how did those beliefs shape the decisions that they made into their adulthood and late adulthood? And now how does that shape the way that they educate their children? How are we, what kind of values are we carrying into the future generations? And how is that affected by the experience that we had just 20 years ago? These are questions that are going to be questions to ask for the future as well, because currently we have these people, millions of people currently being displaced from Ukraine that will also be struggling to find these answers, not to mention, first and foremost, ensuring that they survive above all. And another thing that was made clear to me is that because we don't know its side effects, we could not help the people experiencing those side effects. It was not until far too late, far too recently, maybe in the past 10 years, that we talk about rape victims from war and the effects of rape that never talked about it because they were ashamed of it. They were so deeply ashamed of that experience, and it was not their fault, obviously. They were so deeply ashamed of it because of our culture, because of our mentality. But what's even more shameful is that we didn't, or actually it's not a shame, you can't blame our society for this. It was, we weren't even capable of understanding that effect, the effect of that in people's lives or the effect of people that never went, that were never found, that people don't even know if they're dead or alive, or people that are, that they know that they're deceased, but they don't know where their bones are. They didn't even manage to bury their dead. What is that effect? What is the effect of that in the human mind, in a society, in a family, in a person, in an individual trying to establish a life of their own and trying to grow out of that pain and out of that trauma and you observe the culture in Kosovo and you observe the culture in any other war-ridden country. Because I, I take Kosovo as an example because it is, it is basically my example. It is something that I myself personally can draw experience from. But we have war-torn countries all over the world. The Middle East is in a perpetual state of war. For as long as I've been alive, at least. At least. So this, this is a conversation that we don't have. Ukraine goes into war and we talk about how this might be triggering and how we should be avoiding this media as a society because it is too much for us, because we can't deal with it. We can't, we don't, we have not dealt with it. We have not handled it. We don't even know what PTSD means. We have not once, I believe, and I don't know, I hope I am wrong, but I would like to believe, I would like to see more of war veterans from our country, people that have gone to war, that are even currently, that for the longest of times have led our country. They have led our country, our governmental institutions, people that have been at the forefront of war. People who might as well have been suffering from PTSD symptoms, but I mean, little did we know, or how could we know, right? Because you look at a person, and this is the thing I've been looked at. You, you are looked at a particular way when you tell people that that is your reality, that this is your truth. And for sure, you don't build experience for this kind of stuff. For sure, you don't build the kind of experience where you say, ah, it's happened once, so we can do it again totally, no problem there. 
the saddest reality, and I guess this is why I really wanted to talk about it, and I don't feel like I'm doing it justice <laughs> at all. At all. I can't do it justice because I am only one person who was raised my entire life believing that my story of war is not worth sharing because I did not experience the worst. And this is the mentality that most Kosovars carry in their shoulders. We carry on our shoulders the weight of my story. I'm fine. I am okay. Don't ask me what I've been through. I've been through nothing. I've had no family members die. Thank God. Thank whoever up there. Thank whatever. Sure as hell we got close to it. But none of us died. Thankfully. But I had... I sat next to... My first day at school, I was introduced. <laughs> my first day at school, I was introduced to my friend who sat next to me in class. And I don't know if it was that day or the day after, but she told me that she had seen them murder her father right in front of her in their front yard. You don't react to that. That's what I can say. You don't say, oh, that's so sad. You don't say anything at all. You just look at her. You just see her. That is all that you can do and then you grow up the rest of your life shutting up about your experience because if you would have seen what she has seen and what people that had experienced that and different kinds of nightmares and horrors you think to yourself shut up nothing happened to you you're fine and thank god i am fine and thank God the majority of Kosovo is still alive today. And there are still people missing and there are still people that whose, whose, whose bodies were not found. There are still people whose fates are un completely unknown of. And I don't even want to think of the horrors that their family members imagined happened to them. And I don't even want to think about the horrors that people have experienced. Especially in, the, in that particular in the particular kind of mission that Slobodan Milosevic had at the time, which was genocide and ethnic cleansing. And the horrors that have happened in that war are unspoken of. But this is not the format or platform for that conversation. And the thing, and I know that a lot of people, also back home, this is sort of, this is my burden that I'm carrying right now as I speak about this topic, as I can feel the stories that I've heard over the years from my friends and friends of friends or just people sharing pieces of what they have experienced, which make your stomach revolt and kind of shrink onto itself. You carry all those stories with you in your on, on top of your shoulders, you carry your survival's guilt with you for your entire life. And you just put that, in, you tuck that neatly into a box. And you think to yourself, sure as fuck, glad that it's over. I'm just happy that we made it. And you don't expect that box to have to come out of the dark corners that you hit it on again. But it, when it does... If it does, then it's 
I don't even want to think of the pain that people are experiencing again right now, trauma that they haven't processed and they haven't worked their way through and now they are reliving their nightmares. But I believe above all, the most important thing that we need to remember is not that we were a victim or see, essentially, see people, see us as victims. It's not about that. It's about accepting the pain and accepting what has happened to us and understanding, above all, turning our survivor's guilt into survivor's strength and identity. Because this is our identity, is we are survivors. And that is why we're strong. Because we did survive incredible circumstance, extreme circumstance. And an exoskeleton is not, it does not evolve if not exposed to extreme circumstance exoskeletons in, in creatures into the wild has been developed because they were exposed to extreme circumstance. That is how we ourselves have built a very strong, strong character inside of us that protects us and saves us and is with us when we most need it. So we know how to survive and we need to learn how to heal. What I want to tackle is the effects, is the post-effects of war, as we have just experienced yet another one as a humanity. Between me, you, and whoever else in the world out there that is listening that has never experienced war, it's, it's not a matter of comparison. It's not a matter of this is what I'm trying to say. It's not a matter of putting our experiences on the table and saying, okay, this sets me apart from you and this sets me apart from you. And that sets Ukraine apart from us and that sets whatever. It's not about that. Because there, there's, there's people that have experienced many wars in their lifetime out there. People that are still in a, that have for all their lives been a perpetual state of war. People who don't even know the meaning of safety. People who don't even know what home even looks like or feels like or sounds like or perhaps sounds and feels and looks like war. So there's so much to learn because I believe that or maybe believe is a strong word to use there, but I think that we forget what war feels like. We forget what war is. And that's why it keeps happening again and again and again and again. We seem to choose to go to war because we think that somehow that is going to solve our problems. I don't even want to get into that right now about how unnecessary, and I know that humanity today understands in 2022 that war is completely unnecessary. I know that humanity understands there are effects to war, that there is this, this thing called PTSD, that there is this thing called XYZ that we suffer from when we go through war, but I don't think that we have this conversation enough or in the right kind of context, asking people... Essentially, if we want to talk about wounds, if we want to talk about our psyche, we need to truly understand the effects of war on our human psyche. We need to truly understand what happens to us and what happens to generations to come, how this essentially shapes the way that we 
think about or feel safe in our environment. And I can't stress this enough. We have no idea what happens to us. I had no idea what was happening to me yesterday. I, literally all of my friends, all of the people that I was seeing was, that were interacting with this news and they were sharing and resharing and they were being triggered and they kept sharing because there is a noble cause to share information about war for our particular, for our country particularly, which this war is such a fresh memory 22 years ago. This is like picking at your own wounds without them even having been healed yet or cured or understood even the, 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 the depths or the effects of it. But you just know, you look at yourself and you say, oh, it's okay, I can do this. We are bred for this. You know, we've evolved to go war after war after war after war after war. We've evolved for this. But let's not forget, and tying back to what I was saying in the beginning, let's not forget that we have also evolved emotionally, intellectually, mentally, whatever, psychologically. Our brains have evolved beyond A or B, beyond fight or flight. Do I choose to pick up my spear and go to another war for my commander-in-chief? The question has evolved beyond that. And most importantly, do we want to subject thousands, billions, even one other person? Do we want to subject them to a war, to the kind of trauma that we wish we had never experienced, ever? And why do we keep doing it? Who is unaware of this effect of war? Who is unaware of its effect? And who needs to learn this lesson so that humanity can finally move on and understand what can we do instead? Is there anything that we can do instead? I don't know. Maybe, but maybe this is coming from somebody who just is really, you know, one war in a lifetime is far more than enough. One war in a lifetime is enough. That's all I can say from experience. And this podcast I don't think is designed to absolute it's not designed to handle this sort of deep trauma and I can sit here and try to understand all day and I can talk about it all day of the effects of war in our human psyche and how it shapes our perception of safety and how it shapes our necessity our our, our instinct to fight and how we then perceive our environment and how it shapes us as adults growing up and how it shapes the adults from the time that had experienced it at the time that are still in survival mode today because of what they experienced 22 years ago that they are maybe even now recently rediscovering what it feels like to feel again to to feel their feelings as a part of their human experience. I don't even want to think about my parents, who of course are stuck. My parents and that my parents' generation, who are stuck in a mentality, unable to grow from it. And I wonder why. You know, there is actually. I wonder why. Okay, I will remove the cynicism. I apologize for that. But I, it's no surprise that they cannot fathom anything outside of their mentalities. Because when war, when the worst has happened and they got struck in survival mode, their brains, all that, they, all that their brains could focus on were patterns that ensured self-preservation. And self-preservation in and of itself includes conservative measures towards everything, literally everything. 
conserve cons- you, and and by that I mean economically speaking and even personally like from a personal perspective you want to conserve your mentality you want to conserve your belief systems you don't want to change you don't want to introduce change you only support that which supports your belief systems so things like religion and anything that is basically rigorously set in its ways you're going to weigh on it because it's the only thing that you believe can save you that is the essence of survival mode in survival mode, there are no, we don't feel, feel is useless to us. And that was actually my mother's response when I asked her, when I called her to talk about this experience and was wondering like, okay, please give me some wisdom, bring me some form, some semblance of comfort, please. And I didn't know the words to say that I am just scared. Again. And scared in many different layers, not scared for now or for tomorrow, but scared then, scared now, scared. This is a multitude of a feeling that extends beyond measure of time. It is a feeling deep inside that needs to be tended to. And my mother's response was, do not fear. Agnes, don't fear. You don't need fear right now. You need to be rational. And I said to myself... This is it. There it is. That is basically all the psychological, all psychology class books can teach you. What is survival mode? This is it. You don't need fear. You need to be rational. You just need to survive. You don't need emotion. You just need to survive. That is the standard of the brain. That's where it takes us. So I understand the conservative approach that my family has to life. I understand that, especially my parents' generation, their approach beyond being 70 years old, essentially in their 70s, late 60s and 70s. I'm not surprised, considering that they had also been uh, that they have also gone through war and war that not only lasted a few months for them, but for them it lasted decades before, because war is not waged in a day. War does not begin in a day. It escalates in a day. There, It only takes one rocket, one bullet. But the experience of war, especially the psychological war that goes that starts before that, is perhaps somehow even deeper in effect of what it does to our bodies and brains and how it shapes us as individuals. So yes, this makes our parents, our families very difficult to talk to in the Balkan areas generally. It makes it difficult to talk to them about feelings. It makes it difficult to talk to them. Their brains have stopped understanding things at some point and they simply focus now on self-preservation. This is the effects of war. We want to talk about why we have rigid structures in place. Well, that's war. It's the terrified notion of if we change, we will die. If we don't maintain, if we don't self-preserve, we will die. And we have carried this with us until... into the 21st century. There are things that we can do, I believe, and there are things that can be done to stop this or to by understanding it. By understanding it, we can heal the world. If we understand ourselves, if we turn intrinsically and we increase self-awareness and we increase, then in self-awareness, we increase the awareness of the other because naturally in self-awareness, we will have empathy. In self-awareness, we will understand what it feels like. And then we will feel for the other and we will understand what it is that they are feeling and saying and thinking. 
And the question, what is war, is a question, it's an open question that I ask to anyone who can answer this. And to have a broad and open conversation about this effect, not simply in our psychology school books, where I had to learn from my therapist who told me, said, Agnes, I I think I believe I understand why your culture is the way that it is. It is not about judging them, it is about understanding that they have been in survival mode for decades now and that is why they cannot change and cannot accept new things that come into their lives and my life has never made more sense than in that moment and I don't think that I should have to go two years in therapy and understand and with somebody that has been doing therapy for decades to tell me a very simple truth This is what you are experiencing. This is what your community is experiencing. Here is why. And start from there into healing, like a path into healing. We can, I believe, expedite the effects of war. And we have now millions of displaced people from Ukraine that have experienced war just yesterday. And they will need help. And beyond material help, beyond helping them reestablish a semblance of safety, beyond helping them build their homes wherever it was destroyed, however it was destroyed, beyond helping them heal from the trauma of losing their loved ones, beyond helping them heal from the trauma of having experienced this, we need to help them heal the generational trauma. We need to help them heal the trauma that we do not see or understand now, but that comes in effects, that comes in effect and affects an entire culture in motion. So maybe that's why I chose to speak, although it might, it doesn't feel like my place to speak it. Like I, I kid you not, the other day, speaking to a friend of mine, I was saying, I wish that, I wish that, you know, we had, uh, somebody would just come out and tell us it's gonna be okay, you know? I wish that our president or somebody, I don't know, someone, anyone would just, addresses as humanity and as human beings as specifically Kosovars referring back to my home and the trauma that we were all the trauma response that we collectively as a nation we were experiencing and just tell us it's going to be okay we are truly complex creatures human beings and we have uh, evolved i think to to evolve each other into being this complex by interacting, by interacting with one another and offering pieces of ourselves and exchanging pieces of each other with each other, I believe we have, this is how we have evolved and this is how we have come this far into our evolution. And I think we need to stop thinking that we have outgrown war, that we have truly understood its effects and that we will not do it again. Because every time we do, somebody proves us wrong. So thank you for your listening ear. I do truly, deeply appreciate if you have come this far and you have listened to this this far. I truly appreciate you staying, sticking around through this tough topic. Um, my hope is that I have done it justice. There is no such thing anyway. I don't think that I could ever measure such a thing. But I hope that in this very, I dare admit, painful flow. It was, this was more like a tending of wounds 
in this deeply vulnerable, open-hearted letter to the open air (laughs) and whoever is listening. Thank you for joining. Take care of yourselves. And if you are part of a culture that has also experienced war in recent times, please be mindful of your trauma response. Please be mindful of your reaction. Be mindful if you are triggered, if you feel an increased sense of anxiety, if you suddenly cannot sleep, you find yourself in in a deeply unsettled mood, if you find yourself increasingly more aggressive, if just suddenly there was a shift in your emotional atmosphere, if you do not feel stable, if you do not feel like you are even participating in reality right now, I just want you to know that it's okay. That what you feel is very real and it is a very real response to a trauma that may or may not have happened to you directly, but it is still a very valid response. And understand that you need to take care of yourself. Because that is our one true responsibility, is to take care of ourselves. If you can help, if you feel like you can help and you can do this without being triggered, then do so. If you are triggered and you feel overwhelmed, then please take a break. Because if anything has been made clear to me in these past few days, is that when the world hits, when when the big dark cloud of darkness descends upon humanity, and we are all experiencing and sharing in our pain in different degrees, but we all share with each other in each other's pain. When one of us suffer, we all suffer. It is a sort of a human capacity, a, a superpower of sorts that we share in each other's pain and we truly deeply feel as if it is happening to us in this moment in time whenever we see somebody else in pain. Understand that you are feeling all of it and it is all very valid and if you all overwhelmed, take a breather, take a step back, take a break and come back when you can bring light into this darkness again. Because if I have learned anything in these past few days when the deep darkness descends upon humanity, is that we need to do anything, whatever we can, in whatever capacity, shape, or form that we can, to bring light into the world. And whether that is maintaining our routine and maintaining our mental hygiene, maintaining our physical hygiene, trying to keep up the good work, trying to do whatever it is that we do that makes us feel safe, that makes us feel comfort, This is the light that we need to keep bringing into the world. Because this is beyond what perhaps we can explain or put on paper at this point in time even understand. But if we can share in our pain, we can also share in how to bring back comfort, how to heal the lack of it, how to heal our pain. We can share in this knowledge and we can be essentially those open arms to accept and heal each other after the damage is done. So take care of yourself. Don't fall into the cycle, into this deep guilt trip that we give to ourselves, that we have to be there and we have to experience and we have to be there 24 seven, that we have to show up. Yes, you can show up, but measure your pulse. Show up when you can. Thank you for joining in this flow. I bid you good night. May you find 
something in this flow of vulnerability to feed into yours. <laughs>